Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Three more examples. The first one a couple weeks ago, almsgiving, generosity, what we want to do for Whitmore. That when we do that, there needs to be a hard attitude. What's a hard attitude? That we do it for an audience of one. We cannot guarantee fruit from that, but we should do it just because it's the right thing to do. We're doing it before the Father. The second illustration is where we've been parked for the last two and now three weeks. And that is when we pray. So not only when we give, but when we pray. Why? Why uh, are we taking three weeks on this issue of prayer? Why hit pause? And drill down for these three weeks, well, real simple, because Jesus hit pause. When he got to this illustration, Jesus hit pause. And he speaks more about this topic right here in the the smack dab center of the Sermon on the Mount than any of the other spiritual exercises. So he tells us what not to do or how not to pray. Then he tells us how to pray. And that's where we find ourselves. But but why prayer? Why pause on prayer? Why drill down on prayer? And the reason is because this represents the number one most mission-critical, life-giving, important thing that any man or any woman could be about. A relationship with the creator and sustaining God of the universe. Our Father, for those of us who can call him our father, that a relationship with the father is the most essential, most important thing about me. And that is why Jesus made this the center of the center of the center of the sermon. That's why we're taking three weeks to park on this. You know, it's the key to understanding the rest of the sermon, and it's really actually the key to to understanding the entire gospel itself. Cyprian the ancient church fathers, called the Lord's Prayer, or a better term, the disciples' prayer, or the child's prayer. Because remember, Jesus didn't have to pray this one. There's certain parts of the prayer that don't apply to Jesus. He doesn't have to pray for forgiveness. He was giving us our prayer. But Cyprian called this prayer the compendium, big word, compendium of heavenly doctrine. And then Tertullian, another early church father called it an abridgment of the entire gospel. Now, I'm not going to prove their statements, but I can prove it in a big, big picture idea, and that is this. If you're not praying, if you're not experiencing fellowship with, communion with, intimacy with the Father, then you are missing the entire point of the gospel. What do I mean by this? This is the story of of mankind. God creates a universe in perfection and beauty. Then he creates Adam and Eve in perfection and beauty. And it's good. It's very good. And he allows a one-step pass-or-fail test. He gives an opportunity to love, trust, and obey him. Not 10 commandments or 326 commandments, just one don't eat it, and they fail the test. They take the bait of the serpent. They fail the test. Relationship, intimacy, 
fellowship, communion with the God of the universe, and each other is shattered. What is the gospel? The New Testament says that Jesus came to destroy all the works of the devil. So if you want to pin original sin on the tempter and the works of the devil, the rebellion and the damage that came, Jesus came to fix that and to bring that which was shattered and broken back together and heal it. And he does it through the blood of his own broken body on the cross in our place. That is the gospel. You and I now can have peace with the Father, not just kind of this ethereal, theoretical, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid. I can actually know him. And I can actually have healed good relationships, healthy marriage, healthy family, healthy friendships, and intimacy with the Father. That is the gospel. And what is the Lord's Prayer? It's all about those things, a relationship with the Father, and wholeness with one another, a compendium of heavenly doctrine. So let's drill back into this center of the center of the center, and I'm actually going to rewind a little bit so you get a running start and see where we're at today. Starting in verse 5 of Matthew 6, and when you pray, Jesus said, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you go to pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard by their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In these 11 verses, here at the center of the center of the center of the sermon, the key to understanding not only the sermon itself, but the entire gospel comes down to this. Don't be like the hypocrites who do it for the praise of man. And then don't treat God like an incantation where you're begging him to hear you. You actually have a relationship with the, with the God of the universe. You've been brought back together and reconciled. Treat him as your heavenly father. We are called to a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees that was shallow and hypocritical and done for image. We're called to a kind of spirituality that is mature, that is accurate, that is telos. Next, Jesus moved from how not to pray to how to pray. And last week, we talked about what it means to pray God-centered prayers. Prayers that make much of God, to magnify him. By the way, you cannot over-magnify God. So try as you might, and you think, well, we're kind of blowing, blowing him out of proportion. Well, good, good try. I dare you to try, because you can't. 
So you can magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together. That's Psalm 34, right? So magnify him. Lift up his name. Uh, three prayer requests we looked at, God-centered prayer requests, is that his name would be honored and glorified amongst all people. That his kingdom would come in fullness and that his will would be done perfectly. These three, as they are currently in heaven, may they be here on earth. And that's the idea. Begin with these God-centered prayers. And then today, if you were paying attention, beginning with give us this day our daily bread, that the pronouns change from you and yours to us and ours. They're still plural. And remember that. We're called together and to remember one another. And not just make this about self only. Me and my and mine. That we're together in this and seeking what our needs are before the throne of grace. But I do have a problem with the overall idea of prayer. You want to know my problem? Because we're going to actually build the problem. If verse 8, Jesus just told me that he already knows what I need, then why ask? Okay, if he's called our father, and fathers are providers and protectors, they don't wait for their kids to ask for provision and protection. Why ask? Not only is he called our father, our father in heaven. So if you had a bad father or a finite, limited father, this father is ultimately good and ultimately powerful. If he's a father that can do all those things, and we believe this leads us to this thought, this conclusion, that he is more anxious to meet our needs than we are anxious to ask them, why ask? In fact, when we drill down even further on this idea of our father in heaven, in the magnitude of who he is, that, in that idea of heaven, the omnis or the infinities of God, and we just do a cursory uh, survey of the attributes of God, specifically the sovereignty and providence of God, that God seems to have in mind not just what he wants, but that which shall come to pass. Why pray? Why pray? He knows what I need. He's good. He wants to give it. He can give it. And he knows what he's going to do. Why pray? Anyone ever struggle with those thoughts? Let me take it even deeper. Okay? Just kind of blow your mind a little bit. Ephesians 1.11. Listen to the statement of God and how much control God has of this story. We have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the purpose of his own will. How many things? Oh, that's a lot. Now you go, oh, well, I, we can maybe have a debate and explain that away. Let's look at Isaiah 45.7. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. So not only all things, but good things and bad things. I am the Lord who does all these things. One chapter later in Isaiah, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. I am God, there's no other. I am God and there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, 
My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. Sounds like it's pretty fixed. Even the roll of the dice, Proverbs 16, says the lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. That's getting pretty detailed if you ask me. The number and quality of my days here on earth, Psalm 139, 16, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed from me, when as yet there was none of them. And then Job at the end in his argument with God and saying, God, where are you? Why have you done these things? Job makes this statement and God does not correct him. He likes it. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So he knows what I need. He's a good and loving father. He wants to meet my needs more than I want to ask him. And guess what? He's sovereign. He's in control. He's going to do what he's going to do. Why pray? Why pray? You want the answer? It's your, it's your bottom line for the message. It's a theological statement with a clause at the end that's been rattling, rattling, rattling around in my head for 30 years. Here it is. God not only foreordains that which shall come to pass, but also the means thereunto. Namely, my prayers or our prayers offered in relationship with him. You follow? God not only foreordains that which shall come to pass, but also the means thereunto. Namely, our prayers offered to him in relationship with him. Here's the deal. God loves us. He enjoys us. He delights in us. We are his image bearers. We were created by him and for him. We were created to be with him and a part of his divine counsel, if you will. We were given dominion of this planet to exercise a stewardship on his behalf on this planet. We were a part of his divine counsel because he likes us and loves us and delights in us and invites us not only to join the family, but to take part in the family business. He listens to the prayers of his saints. He's not only foreordained what he's going to do, but the means thereunto, our prayers. And the will of God is not complete until we step into what he has called us to do and pray. In the examples where you go, it seems like God changes his mind. Uh-huh. He foreordained that. And he's listened to Moses or Hezekiah or the saints together. Let me give you an illustration from uh, Revelation. That's why we sing Revelation song. The throne room in glory, Revelation chapter 8. This is mind-blowing. I'm not going to go super mega crazy deep or fight you over this, but listen to this. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So everything stops. The cosmic clock of the universe and the plan of the ages stops dead. Follow? What happens next? Then I saw... Seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censure. So there's an altar. What is this? If it's the same altar as Isaiah 6, it's the altar of God's holiness. His perfection. You could throw in there his perfect will. 
And he stands at the altar with a golden censure. He was given much incense to offer, watch this, with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. <laughs> okay, where's the cosmic clock thing? Look what happens. Then the angel took the censure and filled it with fire from that same altar. Holiness, perfection, the plan of God, and the saints, and smoke, and now there's these coals and fire, and he picks it up from the altar and throws it on the earth. Splashes the prayers of the saints mingled with God's holiness and perfect will, and there appeals a thunder rumbling flash of lightning and an earthquake, and if you keep reading, you find out the cosmic clock begins again. You get the picture? God not only foreordains that which shall come to pass, but also the means thereunto, the prayers of the saints. We're called to pray and join God in the family business, to join him in the kingdom. He invites us, he likes us, he enjoys us. He wants us to partner with him. And he not only wants to answer our need, he wants us to ask for our need. We begin first with, with God-centered prayers, the kingdom of God coming, yes, but then we turn and he says, and ask for your needs also. I'm listening. I'm waiting. I want to hear from you. I want to enjoy you. I got another illustration that's not so cosmic and awesome. It just has to do with me and Timmy on a tandem bike. You got a picture up there? I thought so because I watched my wife's eyes go up to me and Tim. Yeah, this was his, uh, what, 18th? 18th birthday present? 16th, okay? Um, because of epilepsy, he's not going to drive. And so this is his car. And I'm the driver. Um, Tim's awesome on a scooter, okay? It's one of the reasons why we had to move from our first house, because he would roll right down the driveway into the street. Didn't bother him whatsoever. He doesn't care he's come. So we live on a cul-de-sac on purpose, let me tell you, Timmy on a scooter is awesome and great. He's only hurt himself a few times, but he doesn't go very far, and it's quite dangerous. So the tandem seven-speed hub gear shift, I can get around in the hills of, of uh, Catalina Foothills. <clears throat> now I'm going to tell you, I can ride much faster on my BH Connect with Campanolo uh, Record Grupo. Okay, that's complex pace. Thank you, Mark. You know what I just said in Kenyan. Yep. And Zach, where are, wherever you are, I can go much faster. And I can go anywhere I want. And I can race and do all this stuff. But can I tell you, I enjoy much more, much more. Timmy's tandem. I'm not the co-pilot. I'm the pilot. At the end of the day, once he's on, we're going where I say we're going. But I do not like to do it that way. You know what I like? I love to talk about it. I love, and there's rules Wednesday and, and Saturdays, you can't ride in Sabino Canyon. You can't ride before 9 o'clock, or after 9 o'clock in the morning anyway. Um, the weather, we have some, some great, last Sunday, we went out and we said, no, the weather's not going to win this time. Isn't this weird weather? And so we kept on going up to Vantana Resort, where we feed the fish. We call them swamp trout. They're actually koi and carp, and we joke about them chirping for dog food, and but we feed the fish up there. If they're big and fat or dead, it's our fault. <laughs> Timmy and I love to ride together. I love to ride with him. He doesn't need to twist my arm. 
but I also don't want to just take off. No, no, we're riding this far. And I talk to him. And guess what? As I'm gracious with him and listening, yeah, he knows, Dad, sometimes you're a jerk. Yeah, I'm, because sometimes I'm like, dude, pedal, I'm dying. Come on. And other times I'm like, dude, you're amazing. Like, I'm not pedaling. Um, But there's a relationship, conversation. I will say I've got him on back. He can't get off. And he's going to pedal. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it's in the rain and some things that we're not comfortable with or he's not comfortable with. We're going to go where I say we're going to go. We're going to go as fast down hills, as fast as I say, not as mom. She goes, say, go slower. Don't tell me how fast you went. But I'm just telling you, there's just so much joy in the relationship. And such a picture of God's divine plan of the ages. And as he invites us to be the stoker. There's the pilot up front and the stokers behind. Not that God needs us. I don't need Tim. I can ride that bike alone. But he invites us because he enjoys the relationship. We were created for intimacy with the God of the universe. And he invites us into the story. God not only foreordains that which shall come to pass, but also the means thereunto. Now, after we begin with those God-centered prayers and we join him in the stoker position, he goes, hey, by the way, you got some needs, don't you? I know. I created those too. I created the emotions that go along with those. And I want to just encourage you to think this way, because this is going to be the, the end challenge in a few moments. When we feel some things, and I'm not just talking about good things, I'm talking about negative things, icky things, dark things, disappointing things, anger, hurt, frustration, and I can even take it into sinful things, lust, hatred, lying, or shame, guilt, disappointment. You feel things. They're called emotions. The devil didn't make those things. He didn't create anything. He can co-opt them and, and use them to twist them, but God actually created those things to be triggers, to tell us that something's wrong, that we have some need in our life, and that those triggers are to lead us back to relationship with him. So I'm, I'm uh, quoting my wife, uh, Stacy Roden, who invented this, unless you can find it in a book um, before 10 years ago, but emotion equals invitation. Emotion, you're feeling stuff. Let it be an invitation back into intimacy with the Father. And why do I say that? Is because every single one of these requests that we're looking at produces feelings, or they should if our heart's awake and alive. Daily bread, uh, debts and trespasses, temptation and evil, and fear of those future contingencies produce things in our hearts And those should be triggers to lead us back to intimacy with the Lord. Get back on the bicycle with him. Start to clear some of those relational breakers up. And here's the deal. The devil, Lucifer, Satan, his fallen angels, uh, spirit beings that hate mankind and hate Christ and hate the kingdom of God. The very triggers that God wants to use to bring us back into intimacy and partnership with him. 
the kingdom of darkness will use to steer us away, to get off the bike, to flip God the bird and say, if this is who you are, I want none of it. In fact, I would argue there's no atheists and Satanists. There's only angry theists that, that believe. And I've, I've watched this, and then I've started to read some, some more things that I didn't write. But the worst and most angry individuals, atheists and Satanists, are people that are actually angry and shaking their fist at a God that they actually know is there. Satan wants to take the same emotion <clears throat> that's designed to lead us in intimacy with the Lord and steer us away from to where we're shaking our fist in anger and rage against the Lord. And they're mapped out here. It's amazing. Well, let me demonstrate. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Let's begin first with just unpacking this. <clears throat> daily, this day, daily bread. Why not a hundred years or more? How much better if God owns the cattle on a thousand hill? It takes a lot of relationship to, to dole out daily bread to everyone. And yet there it is. It's daily, not millennia. It's not even weekly. Why daily? If God has all that we need, why not just dole it all out at once? A grace gift. And he says, here's your full inheritance. Go. Why? Because he knows 100% of the time it will ruin us. And it will ruin the relationship. You know, the scripture says that uh, an inheritance gained too early in life does not profit in the end. Why? You got too much. You go, Mom, Dad, I don't need you. I just got the stuff. Uh, there's other dysfunctions that come with that, but it's the same principle. Um, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 30, we think it's Solomon, it could be a pseudonym. It might be King Lemuel, I forgot exactly who's, who's cited here as the king, but the person that wrote this says, Give me neither poverty nor riches... Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Only the amount I need. Neither poverty nor riches. There's like this envelope in which I thrive. Too much destroys me. Too little wrecks me. So give me neither extreme. Only what I need. Why? Lest I be full and deny you. Or say, who is the Lord? I don't know him. Atheist. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So I only need what I need. And, and the Lord wants to give me this day my daily needs. Now bread, I think, is, is just a category of what do you think you need to, to survive and even thrive. So this could be when you're out of wisdom. I don't know how to do this. You're out of energy. You're out of resources. You're out of ideas. You're out of try you got to get up and try some more at your job and it's like just just an empty pit, black hole of effort and it's not yielding fruit or or paycheck and you're just like i want to quit and it's a daily need and it's as if the lord has doled out a trillion signed checks dated per day get this picture this is your whole inheritance of grace and you get a check per day, it's all been divided out, and you need to sign it and bring it back and present it before the throne of grace. And he goes, I will honor that today. Come back and see me with the next check tomorrow. Why? Because you'll keep coming back. What happened, now, with the people of Israel, and there's a real clear analogy here of manna. 
which means what is it? In the wilderness wanderings, he fed them with bread from heaven daily. The one exception was on Sabbaths. On Friday, you could collect twice as much, twice as much, and it would keep the next day only on Saturday. If you tried to, to, to collect twice as much on Monday, it would go bad and be full of worms and stink on Tuesday. It's just a picture. God was really doing that to nurture intimacy and relationship that all of Israel would come back to him. Now, what happened when they inherited the land and they got too much of a good thing all at once? They actually not only stopped coming to him, they actually turned to false gods. It wasn't good for them. So he kept them daily coming back for 40 years. He gave this, the, the, this, this spiritual rhythm of daily bread. Come to me daily. What do you think you need today? What's bugging you? What is making you? And here's the word that I'm going to use. What's making you anxious? And there are more extreme forms of that emotion and there's lesser forms. I'm just, I'm not anxious. I'm just concerned. I'm just concerned. Um, or others, I'm panicked. It's a panic attack. So, so what's the fill in the blank? Anxiety over daily needs equals invitation. There's an emotion going on. There's things that I need. And the Lord goes, jump on the bike. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Let's do this together. Let me know. I want to meet your needs, but I want you to ask. So bring your needs. Let the feelings that you have be a trigger to lead you back to the Father. I'm feeling nervous about this one-on-one -on -one meeting. Feeling nervous about this phone call. I'm feeling nervous about pushing send on this email. What do you need? Bring it to the Lord. Watch him work in that. Here, let's, here's the second one. We're told to move from our daily bread issues, our daily needs, and into relationships where we have violated or been violated. And I want you to know, notice this. Um, it's both vertical and horizontal. Here's the, the texts. And this is the one that Jesus thought, I need to double down on this one because I don't see them getting it yet. So, so watch. In the first blush, uh, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then at the end of the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, he's, he doubles back on this one in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, new word, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, same word, forgive. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So two interesting words. The first one for debt is something owed morally. You hurt someone and they go, and they, they go you owe me. Don't do that again. I'm going to hold on to that thing. And nobody loves to have things held over their head, do they? It's terrible. Forgiveness releases those things and sets us free. But so this is a debt that is owed. And then the next go-round is this word trespasses. And I kid you not, this is a hundred-year-old definition from James Strong. He says, a slip-up, oopsie. <laughs> he doesn't say oopsie, I did. But a slip-up, slip um, intentional or unintentional. That's a trespass or a transgression. And I want you to notice in the context. 
The Lord is concerned about vertical and horizontal. You follow? So in this prayer requests, what are those relational breakers? Things that you've done, and it might take any number of, of forms. I think it all comes back to, to what Adam and Eve experienced. A kind of shame that made them sew together fig leaves to hide their nudity and then to hide in the bushes from God. Shame makes us hide. And so what's the fill in the blank? The fill in the blank is um, shame over moral failures or I could add in there relational failures equals invitation. Now, there's a problem with this that I, that I feel like I need to just hit pause on the pause, okay? And that is this. Many people read this and go, oh my goodness, I thought salvation was by grace alone through faith alone. Looks like I have to forgive too. And so there is a work that is required. And in order to be forgiven and get saved, salvation, and not go to hell when you die, it's the gospel, uh, a kind of a crude uh, 40-year-old statement of it what I grew up in, and it's still all true. But we look at this and go, ooh, I don't think I can go to heaven because I really, really hate this person that did this thing to my mom. And so I guess I'm not saved. Okay, so there's people that just believe that, that until you forgive, then obviously you're not born again. I want you to understand something in context. The people to whom Jesus was talking to could already call the creator of the universe our father. In relational strife and struggling with forgiveness does not get you unadopted out of God's family or even prove that you're not adopted. The whole context of this is intimacy with the Lord. It's not justification this is relationship this is responding to the the junk and the hurt and the wounds done to you and things that you've done to others and to god and feeling icky stuff and tension and anger these these heavy dark emotions and allowing these things to lead us back into intimacy with the lord and in that context a forgiven person that gets it will forgive others. Go and look at Matthew 18, the end of that chapter. The debt that we owe before God is nothing compared to the worst of the worst of the worst that humans can do to one another. And it doesn't mean that we're reconciled with that person that hurt us. It doesn't mean that, that we trust them. It does mean that we let them off the hook and we release them to God's judgment and say, you do whatever you want to, I'm done here. And I forgive them. Okay? It's a one-way releasing what jesus did on the cross father forgive them they don't know what they're doing a one way of releasing i'm not going to hold them accountable and here's the deal people who are merciless this is dallas willard and i would even say possible for believers believers that can't get over it that can't let people off the hook they've got to be punitive they got to get even he says, people who are merciless, unable to pity others and receive pity, simply have a hard life full of unsolved problems. Why? Because they're riding alone. 
when they've been invited into intimacy with the Father in relationship, who wants to hear their hearts and meet their needs. And they go, I don't want that. I want to do this one on my own. And because, because of that, like you said, hard life full of unsolved problems. What do we need in this? What do we do? We come to the Lord like Peter in the upper room, John 13. Jesus came to wash his feet and say, don't you dare touch my feet. And the Lord says, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. And he goes, then wash all of me. The Lord says, you don't need a bath. I already did that. You're saved. You're forgiven. You're a child of God. You can call him our father. But you do need your feet washed. That's a relational daily cleansing. And by the way, when we have that done and we get it, we wash even the feet of our enemies. This is what Adolf Schlatter says. There is no serious prayer up for forgiveness except on the lips of a forgiver. So when we recognize it, we feel that shame, that pain, that wound, or that hurt someone else did to us. Man, come back to the Lord. Release the person and say, Lord, I'm not, they're not the only jerk in the world. I too have stuff I need to be cleansed of. Shame over moral failures equals invitation. Here's the final one Jesus taught us to ask um, the Father. <clears throat> Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, did you sp do you spot another problem with this or another question? God tempts I thought the brother of Jesus, James, in James 1.13 says, let no one say that he, when he is tempted, <clears throat> I am being tempted by God. James says, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So what's going on here? Why would I ask for something that is absolutely not going to happen? And the answer is this. There's one word for temptation, but two nuances. And they can be the same moment. God allows for temptation in the first nuance. It is a testing to help us see where we're at, to see the measure of our faith, and will we trust, obey, and love him? That's called a test. God does do that. In fact, back to the people of Israel, Deuteronomy 8.2, God says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. God does do that. In the same moment, guess who else is there trying to entice you to sin and me to sin? Satan. Kingdom of darkness. Uh, whole, who knows how many or how or what. And my own flesh that continues to conspire against my spirit that wants to know and love and obey God. And so the testing what are we actually asking for? As we look into the future and we realize life is hard, isn't it? And there's some scary things that can happen to us. But we know God has the power to keep us from those things. We know that no one gets out unscathed. Nobody gets full deliverance from hardship. But what we're praying for is God to exercise appropriate concern. And, and we're basically saying, God, I'm really weak. Please remember my frame. Please, please don't allow unnecessary measures of pain and, and testing 
because you know how weak I am. Okay, what is this? This is the fear of the future and the contingencies, bad things that can happen. Stock market's crashing. Um, but, it, but it's time to retire. And my portfolio is torpedoing and swirling the drain. These things that, that cause us, oh no, I've heard stories. God really does let some people go broke in their retirement. And, and we, then we fear. And what we're basically asking is, God, allow things to test me appropriate to my strength and, and keep me from unnecessary evil, both within and without. So the fill in the blank is fear over future trials equals invitation. Now I'm just going to wrap it up here because of time and give us a, a takeaway this week. <clears throat> By the way, I've been living in this all week, all three, and even the bigger picture. That God not only foreordains that which shall come to pass, but also the means thereunto. Namely, <clears throat> our prayer request prayed in relationship with him. So come to him. Join him. And, and so here's the deal. You're going to feel some things this next week. And they're not all going to be positive feelings. You're going to be hurt, wounded, disappointed. You're going to feel lonely, undervalued, overlooked. You're also going to be tempted. You're going to, uh, some of us are going to struggle with lust. Our eyes going where we, they shouldn't go. <clears throat> then we're going to feel dirty and shamed. We're going to hedge our bets in telling stories or speaking the truth, and we're going to realize, wow, I shaded that with untruth. There's going to be all kinds of things, and we're going to feel these things, and I want to encourage you, whatever it feel you feel, that's an invitation back into intimacy with the Lord and to begin to ask him for your daily needs, whatever that is, whatever's making you anxious, or shame, you want to hide, you're, you, you're, you blew it, or you're angry with someone else that hurts you. Move back into intimacy with the Lord. Let them know you're hurt. Let them know that you forgive them. Let, let them know that you're aware that you're even worse than they are. And then finally, the, all the doom and gloom things that could happen in our lives. I just gave one tiny example, but you're going to have some fear of the future. An evil that could befall. So many bad things that could happen. But do you trust the good heart of our Father in heaven? Know this, he delights in you, he enjoys your presence, he knows your needs before you ask him, but he wants you to come to him, and these things are a trigger to bring you back to him. Pour out your heart before him and be confident. He's not only foreordained that which shall come to pass, but also the means thereunto. Namely, our prayers offered in relationship with him. Amen? Father, thank you for being so loving, good, kind. Thank you for inviting us into your story to play a very small, minor piece of it as your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we might walk in those good works. Part of those good works is our prayers offered to you in praise and adoration and love to foster a relationship with you, to join you in the story of the ages. Lord, what a privilege to jump on the back of the bike and to pedal with all our might. We love you. Thank you for being such a good papa. We pray this only in the name of Jesus, the son that forgives our sins with his shed blood so that we could know you. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. 
You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.